When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered cold-filtered, and cold-packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1 where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado. The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today wherever you listen to podcasts. This is the Cubs-related podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey, once again joined by Brendan, and we are coming to you on Thursday, September 24th of the year 2020. And I believe when I hosted the episode by myself on the last episode, I said at one point that if the Cubs couldn't take care of business against the Pittsburgh Pirates, the worst team in the league, one of the worst teams we've seen in baseball in quite some time, they were going to deserve whatever ultimately happened to them. And folks, here we are. The Cubs lose three straight games at the end of this series to lose three of four to the Pittsburgh Pirates who entered this series at 15 and 39. Brendan, we have plenty to talk about on today's episode, Um, but where I want to start, Brendan, and I will bring you in here, is on a more positive note. And that positive note is that during the course of this series, the Chicago Cubs clinched a spot in the playoffs. It is an expanded field. It is a wacky season. But for the fifth time in six seasons, the Chicago Cubs are going to be participating in Major League Baseball's playoffs. And I tweeted something to this effect, and I know, Brendan, because you're only a couple years younger than me, you obviously agree with this sentiment. But 
telling a 12-year-old or 13-year-old little Corey uh, that the Cubs, that it was even possible for the Cubs to make the, the playoffs five out of six seasons would be insane to a 12 or 13-year-old Corey. Uh, utterly insane. So it's a weird spot because that series was really bad. Those last three games were so bad, you guys, so bad, right? We all watch the same games. But they made the playoffs, and even though Brendan and I are on the younger side, I know some of you guys have been watching the Cubs' general futility as an organization for much longer than we have. It it's 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 something I think we have to stop and appreciate. I I I I watched these same last three games in Pittsburgh as you guys did, but the Cubs being a playoff team on an annual basis is something I refuse to take for granted, Brendan. I know the season has been bizarre. The way they started with hitting the ball well, they had a WRC plus of 130 going into the first week of August. Now they just tanked off the cliff. But you still got to give them credit for doing this. And you got to give credit for David Ross in his first year navigating not just being a new manager, but a new manager in a completely new, wacky COVID environment. And to your point, in my wildest dreams, have I ever thought the Cubs could win five out of six years in the playoffs? I thought, I mean, that, w- that would be insane if I ever thought about that 10 years ago. But But here we are. It's a weird mix. I mean, it's quite possible this could be the last run with many of these guys on the team. But you do have to sit back and enjoy and kind of reminisce on just how they've been able to do this. It's been a complete team effort with the pitching, with bullpen management, with the attitudes. And despite them not hitting, at least the attitudes, the quotes we're reading, they're still positive. It's weird. It's hard to reconcile what we're seeing right now. But five out of six seasons, Corey, I mean... You know, I'll take that almost, I'll take that all the time, of course. Yeah, and I I think we talked a little bit about this a couple episodes ago, but I think it's a worthwhile discussion point that everybody had their their fair share of challenges coming into this season, every team, right? And uh, obviously some of them handled those challenges better than others, and everybody's had a lot of injuries. So, you know, it, it doesn't need to be a like pissing contest of who's had it the hardest. Because um, I think every every team and all these players and coaches and staff members and stuff, this was a, a tall task. They've all had to very seriously commit to these protocols and dealing not only in their baseball lives with the pandemic going around around them, but also in their personal lives and with their family and, and everything. So I, I, I want to reiterate that I, I do think that despite how the offense is performing at the moment, we should all be proud of these guys. They they set out to do a job, which was to make the playoffs. Ultimately, they would also like to win the division, which we'll talk about uh, on the next podcast because that will reveal the answer there. But they they they, they showed up. They did the work, and they got the job done, and and they're in the playoffs. And I think especially with the way 2019 ended in not making the playoffs and just falling out of that race with the Brewers and the Cardinals, I I think it's a disservice to focus only on the negative at the moment 
right? Um, because we've seen this offense go in and out of, of big bursts of success and failure for the last several years, right? So this shouldn't be a new experience for a lot of us. Um, but at the end of the day, despite losing from the majority of the season two of the starters that they had planned in this rotation, despite some of their stars putting up the worst years of their career all at the same time, despite now one of their stars and Chris Bryant uh, being out, and we don't even know if he's going to come back with uh, you know an injury there, it they've managed to somehow cobble together the wins to make the playoffs and to be in a position heading into this weekend with the White Sox to win the National League Central Division, which very few, if any, outlets predicted them to do, right? And no matter what happens this weekend, it's not going to be the Reds who a lot of those outlets predicted. So the Cubs showed up. David Ross had them ready to do the job. They've they faltered in, in ways, but they've succeeded in a lot of others. And I, I think you have to try and enjoy that, right? Like this yeah. year for most of us, and certainly worse for some than most, but this year has been a mess. This year has sucked for so, so many reasons. And the Cubs showed up to this weird season. They checked off one of the boxes, at least so far, that they wanted to check. And I, I think you have to try and relish in that. I think we all deserve to just be happy about that for two seconds, right? Yep. And you don't have to, it doesn't have to be related to whether you think they're in for a short or a long postseason run. Like, we'll see what happens. It's six days from now. Like, we'll, we'll see what happens when all of that goes down. But they made the playoffs. They, when, when this rebuild all started, and Theo's talked about this a lot, the, the goal was always to put a team together that was going to continually get you a ticket to the dance or whatever, you know, cliche about making the playoffs. You want to make a seat at the table. There, there's an, a, a litany of them, right? And they've done it five out of six times. And so I, I think we have to be able to enjoy that. And it's very easy, I think, especially for most of us, but like particularly from the lens that Brendan and I are looking through, like, I remember watching this team in 2004. I remember watching this team in 2005 and 2006. I remember going into seasons hoping that Ronnie Cedeno and Matt Merton Oof, were going wow. to carry them to postseason glory. And then Rich the following Hill. years of watching Jose. Jose Macias and Nafi Perez struggle mm. to win any games. You're going deep right? there, Corey. Yeah. Yeah. Because Oof. like, again, like I, I think it's a weird spot. Don't it get is. me wrong. And we're going to talk about the, the negative that we just saw in this series. But like it, it at the same time, it's like this was a wacky season. We've seen so many teams fail to live up to the potential that their fan base and and their ownership and everybody would have you know the expectations that they would have had for them and the cubs aren't one of those teams right they're going to be in the playoffs they're going to have a shot to throw you darvish and kyle hendricks in those first two games next week and see if they can't mess around yeah. and try to win the whole damn thing so i think we have to try and be happy about that and celebrate that and even if it's just for a moment and then you turn the page to the next game but I think you you have to be happy, at least for a moment, that this team is making the playoffs. It's cool, too, that they're doing it with David Ross as the manager. This is a storyline. At the end of the day, we'll look back at this, 
And for David Ross to be a first-year manager with many of the same guys he won the World Series with, he made the playoffs as the manager. That is really, really cool. And it, it's it's beyond all of the struggles from the hitters. If you take a step back and look at what actually they did accomplish under extraordinary circumstances, it's admirable. Like Chris Bryant, he's had a terrible year. But he did play. He risked his health with a newborn infant. He risked his health on the field playing with injuries. And he may come back and play with another new injury. So the whole mantra of them being soft or not urgent or whatever, its that's not true. There, there's one example that I was thinking about. How, how do we like communicate our frustration with this team, even though they made the playoffs? When Rizzo hit a line drive in that Wednesday game, right to the first baseman, he chucks his bat. I mean, Rizzo's just as frustrated as some fans are. Doesn't mean that my frustration or your frustration is saying, oh, this this team sucks. I hate Rizzo. I hate Javi. I hate you guys. No, that's that's not it. It's we 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 know what these guys have done in years past and like genuinely want them to succeed. That I mean, this is admirable what they've been doing in a really unfortunate season. And you're right, Corey, this year has sucked for so many reasons. And when you see David Ross and Schwarber like hug it out or laugh off uh, Schwarber being benched one game and all the quotes, like th- those are awesome moments, man. And like, we'll still have those types of moments, even if they get out of the playoffs rather quickly. It's It's still cool. Let's take a step back see the interaction, see some of the positives and some of the successes that still have happened despite all the nonsense this year. Just to, you know, take you behind in and into the production truck that is uh, the Cubs-related podcast, Ooh. we heard from a lot of you. Uh, and as always, uh, we very much appreciate those of you that tweeted us or send us messages on Instagram or Facebook, whatever it is. Uh, we very much appreciate that. Um, I know sometimes, you know, folks are... Like, you know, I don't know if you want my thoughts or anything. We always want your thoughts. If you listen to this podcast and interact with us, we're always willing to interact and listen and and have a conversation. Um, but we did hear from a lot of you, you know, is this going to be an explicit episode? Are you guys going to go off, et cetera, et cetera? And we talked about it a lot. We spent a lot of time trying to figure out what is the right tone <laughs> to strike we uh, after what we just saw, given that they made the playoffs and, and all of this kind of happening at the exact same time. Um, and because I, I, you know, obviously this podcast started and I did not start with a warning that this was an explicit podcast. It is not, and it is not going to be. Uh, and where Brendan and I landed on that for full transparency is, again, we watch the same series that you did. We've been watching the same team that you have. If you listen to every episode of this podcast, you know we've been concerned about this offense for quite some time now, probably over a month we've been talking about what's going on here. You mean three years. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, at the same time, like this team is going to be in the playoffs. They have a chance to win the division. I think that we have to, you know, as fans, you you kind of have to make a, a, a decision, right? Like, they're going to be in the playoffs. Are you going to hope that they're going to show up as an offense and get behind them and just hope for the best? Or are you going to write them off and just come to the conclusion that they have 
no chance and it's going to be a quick exit and all that other stuff. And I, I'm not here to tell you what to do, right? Like everybody can watch this team and consume this product however they wish, right? A lot of us devote a lot of time and often a lot of money and energy and thought and, and tears and everything, right, to this team. So if, if you're not feeling it, like that's all the power to you. You can do whatever you want. Um, but especially just because this is a group that we have watched for so long. And like you were saying, Brendan, like I love these players and I want to see them succeed and I love this team. And despite, you know, how I might be feeling about this offense at the moment, like they're going to be in the playoffs and I'm going to be there next Wednesday in my, you know, on my couch with my Cubs jersey on, like ready to root for them to win in the playoffs, you know? So it just doesn't feel like the right tone to us to come on and just trash everything and be super negative and stuff like that. I think we can have an honest analysis and a discussion about the offense and what's gone on here, and we will in about a second here. Um, but just to give you guys full transparency, like it just doesn't feel like the right tone to strike. This, this offseason is going to be a mess for a lot of reasons, right? Uh, even if they win the whole thing, this offseason is going to be a mess just because the financials are all over the place for the entire league. We don't even know what 2021 is going to look like yet. So it's just going to be all over the place. We've got guys whose contracts are up. It's going to be insane. It's going to be a mess. So we'll have plenty of time to be as negative as we want to be, as positive as we want to be, whatever, right? But there's three games left. They have a chance to win the division. And for the moment, uh, Brendan and I are choosing to continue to be behind them, support them, cheer them on, and hope that they perform at the level we know that they're capable of performing on. We've been bitten by this attitude before, right? (laughs) But in the, the timeless words of Michael Scott, I am ready to get hurt again, okay? And you will catch me doing anything other than repping my Cubs blue and supporting this team, as I always have. I tell you guys, like when they lost the pennant to the Mets, I was there at that last game until the very last out watching the Mets celebrate. I did the same thing in game seven in 2003 when I was a kid. I'll do it every time, right? The wild card game, everything. I will sit there and I will like the the musicians on the Titanic, I will go down with the ship, and that will never change. It's just how I am. So that's the the tone that we're operating from. But switching to what has happened here, because that is what you guys tune in for, uh, we have a series with the Pirates to break down. I'm not going to recap these games. You guys lived through it, and I'm I it would be very mean of me to make you live through it uh, again. But just to you know, give you a couple items to set the table. I do want to point out uh, that John Lester was once again very good on Monday in the Cubs' lone win. He went six innings, allowing four hits, no earned runs, a walk, and a strikeout. His third win of the year, ERA down to 4.40. So this is a few good starts in a row for John. We'll talk a little more about the rotation, but just wanted to start there. Uh, and then it obviously just goes downhill from there. Uh, some A couple one-run losses on Tuesday and Wednesday and a blowout, unfortunately, with Alec Mills on the mound on Thursday. Mills only lasts three and two-thirds, giving up four runs, eight hits. Uh, three of those uh, are the long ball variety. So that's that's really what it is. And again, you guys know 
what the deal is here. So the Cubs offense scores five runs on Monday, um, and then they proceed to score two runs, one run, and no runs in the final three games of this series. And again, if you watched it, you just sort of know that this was the story. And I think what is particularly frustrating in this series, and really, I think, you know, partially why there were so many calls to just let it rip here on this podcast, uh, was A, that the Pirates are just awful, right? They have nothing to play for, and they've been really, really bad in this season. But also, like you had, especially in these last two games, when you were facing Trevor Williams and Chad Cool, two guys who just have not been good. Trevor Williams entered the game and even leaves the game he gave up a run over five and two-thirds innings. His ERA on the season is still over six, and he's got 10 games on his record. So this is not a guy who's thrown, you know, 10 innings on the season. He's two and eight with a 6.18 ERA. The Cubs put one run on him in five and two-thirds innings. Chad Cool seven shutout innings with five strikeouts, and this stat from Cubs and MLB.com, friend of the podcast, Jordan Bastian, Chad Cool entered Thursday afternoon's game with a 5.03 ERA and a 14.6 walk percentage. The Cubs were getting no hit for the majority of his outing. Uh, They scored no runs. He went seven innings and struck out five guys. So that is where the bulk of the frustration comes in from these games. And I think the particularly dire feeling that you have out there is best exemplified in the game on Wednesday night where Kyle Hendricks gives up a couple home runs to start the game, which is very weird, very uncharacteristic for Kyle. Uh, But he ends up going seven and two-thirds, allowing just those two runs from the first inning, and one walk, three strikeouts. So overall, a very nice start from Kyle Hendricks. And the minute he gave up those two runs— I'm asking all of you listening, did any of you think they were going to win that game when they went down two to nothing? Because I, or excuse me, two to one, Rizzo had hit a home run in the first inning. But when they took the lead, did any of you think that the offense was going to come back with how they've been playing right now? Um, I, I don't know. So Brendan, that, that is the state of things. I mean, it's I, I mean for as, as, as happy as we want to be about the playoffs, it is, it is hard to ignore where this offense is at right now. And again, that also comes with the notion that, you know, and they're like trying to be optimistic, but who knows whatever this medical staff is ever doing. Uh, But Chris Bryant possibly is just done and he wasn't performing when he was playing anyway. So now you might be bringing him back with another injury that he's playing through on top of the wrist. So it's hard to ignore. So I guess I'll throw it to you and just ask, what should we all be thinking about this offense? Because when I was by myself this last episode, I kind of made the point, and and it's a point we've made before, that it's not as though, for some of these guys, we're hoping for something that's completely unrealistic, right? Anthony Rizzo has been one of the most consistent hitters in baseball for his whole career. So asking for him to get hot and be better than where he's at right now 
uh, and and you know just perform at a level that's better than uh, right now. He has a 758 OPS. It was a nice series for him in Pittsburgh. It's not crazy. You're not asking for something that's never happened before. You're not shooting for the moon and saying, "Well, I hope Rizzo gets hot," as though it's impo- You know, he's a, he's never been a good hitter, right? But there's three games left, and it's been like this for the from a, a whole lineup perspective for the majority of the 2020 season. So, where are you with this offense as a whole? What what were you thinking? as you're watching these last three games play out in a manner that I, I just, I, I think maybe we're not all surprised because we've seen this movie with, with this group before, but still watching it unfold was like, I, I can't believe that this is happening right now. It's, it's frustrating. I think that series against Pittsburgh, it's, it, it was a combination of bad at bats and not to make excuses but there there was some bad luck involved especially in that last game if we look at just the the outs they made for example Rizzo a line out of 115 miles per hour of exit velocity Schwarber a ground out 114 miles per hour Bodie 107 a ground out Hayward 97 a ground out Hayward again 97 to force out, and Schwarber, 96, a ground out. So it was a combination of struggles, misfortune, and all piled up into almost being no hit for the majority of the game. My my thinking with this offense for at least a short term in the playoffs, flip a coin. That's where we're at. There are certain players for me that I'm not expecting anything and one player that that's obvious at this point is is Javi. I I was encouraged by Javi in the first few weeks, man. I know the numbers didn't look good. Maybe I was fooled by the numbers, but I was encouraged because he was taking more pitches. He was laying off those sliders, those high fastballs. I thought, okay, maybe Javi's making those adjustments and the numbers will follow inevitably because he was still hitting the ball hard when he was making contact. He just never happened for him and with Javi now he's swinging at pitches that he always used to struggle against in years past those low and away sliders those up and in fastballs and the frustration is pouring out for Javi going into this game the last game on Thursday he had the worst WRC plus in Major League Baseball Corey for qualified hitters the worst in Major League Baseball so with Javi I, I don't know what went wrong I don't. I don't know if it's just not having the video for him. I don't know if the scouting reports caught up to him. There's just not enough time, in my opinion, for Javi to get it together. Do I think it could happen? Of course. He's Javi Baez. Of course I think it could happen. I'm just not expecting it. I have a different level of expectations for Rizzo, a different a different level of expectations for Contreras and Schwarber and Hap. And that's because for Schwarber for Rizzo, their expected numbers aren't matching up with what we're seeing. Rizzo has an expected weighted on base average of 365. Right now, that's not matching his actual weighted on base average, which is has been below 330, 320 for the past few weeks. They're hitting the ball hard, as I said. It's just sometimes getting clouded by really bad at bats 
by Javi Baez. At times, really bad at-bats by Schwarber and Contreras. And Happ has been struggling, and he, with a 15-game rolling average, he has had the worst stretch in his career. Happ, Ian Happ, Corey, the last 15 games. And it's not just him. It's Rizzo. It's Schwarber. It's everyone on this team. Do I think it can change? I, I don't know. I know it's possible. I know the expected number suggests there is a possibility for that. And with this weird baseball playoffs, I would not be surprised if all of a sudden Rizzo hits two home runs. All of a sudden, Schwarber takes advantage of a, of a pitch and sends it 500 feet. Those are not things that are, that are out of the realm of possibility. So that's where I'm at. I'm not expecting it. I'm not. I would not be surprised if a few of these guys do get going, though. And one player... Jason Hayward, he's giving me a little bit more optimism, cautious optimism. If he's moved up in the order, personally, I, I want to see Jay Hay batting cleanup, dude. I, I cannot believe I'm even saying that. But he has the same type of portfolio as we saw with Ben Zobris in 2016 when he batted cleanup so many games. Someone who takes his walks, has a high batting average, does not strike out, has mild to moderate power. That's what Hayward's doing. And if you kind of mix and match with some some other guys who make more contact, maybe maybe even Nico. I know Nico's numbers are terrible, but just splitting up some of the approaches that that struggle against a certain type of pitcher might be good for this team. I I don't know, Corey. I'm not expecting the offense to all of a sudden snap out of it. At the same time, I have to recognize. There is a degree of misfortune there, even though it's not the driving factor for their struggles. And at the end of the day, man, I'm just relying heavily on you, Darvish, and Hendricks in those first two games in the playoffs. And they get through that first round. Then you can throw them again, hopefully, with some time off in the next series. And piggyback off of John Lester and Alzali and maybe Quintana. And, you know, if, if their cards fall into place, maybe they can do it. I, I don't know. This offense, your guess is as good as mine. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching prop, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates you will see fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through September 30th. 
Yeah, and it's it's just wild because uh. you know I'm looking at this uh, this tweet from Sadev Sharma of the Athletic where. He has the rolling WRC plus numbers, yeah. uh, which is you know basically just charting it day by day, game by game, and he has it for Baez, Bryant, Schwarber, and Rizzo, and y- you just look at it and like they're all four of them. It's like the worst of their career, and it's all happening at the same time, and obviously it's it's different variations of those struggles for each of these guys but it if it feels to you like you're watching these some of these guys at their absolute worst that you've seen them you're not wrong that's actually what's happening uh so it's it's just kind of like I I saw that tweet earlier and I was I I sent it to you Brendan and all I said was remarkable yeah like this is crazy I mean like, this is actually crazy it's literally their worst stretch in their career, a 15-game right. rolling average over the last 15 games. All at the same time. Yeah. You and I talk all the time about how annoying it is that it seems like some of them can't get hot at the same time. You know, like one of them will be really hot and, you know, like Rizzo will be really hot and Bryant's struggling and then they swap. Or be, <laughs> yeah. and, and right now, the issue is all of them are, <laughs> are struggling. None of them are hot. So it's just kind of baffling. Um, and we can, you know, there's a, there's a lot of different ways to break that down and try to figure out what's happening here. Um, I know, you know, you can look at the, the changes that they've made at the hitting coach position, the different changes they've made in hitting philosophy over the years, obviously as a result of that. Um, you can look at a lot of different things, um, but, inconsistencies and struggling with runners in scoring position, high strikeout numbers, stuff like that. Like, you know, these are all characteristics of this group. I mean, you can't really deny that at this point because, I I mean, I, Brendan and I have probably had this exact conversation or something similar to it uh, over the last couple years for sure. But it's remarkable just how bad it is right now. This is not the normal level of like fluctuation and inconsistency that we've seen this from this group you know this is something even far beyond that and I honestly like I just don't really know what to say it it, it's it's so frustrating and I and I think uh, a real sign of of what we're looking at those last two games that's it's why I brought that up like just Trevor Williams and Chad Cool have been so bad and I think Cool in particular is a guy that the Cubs have had success with this group has had success against in his career and it it, it just isn't happening and you you watch so many and I know you've railed about this a lot Brendan they're they're sort of like extra passive approach this year but just so many at bats where the pitches are there you know like yeah. there's 94 95 mile an hour fastballs right down the middle well, right the where you want them in the zone yeah. and 
sometimes they have this passive approach where they're just taking those pitches, but there's also plenty of at-bats where they're just fouling those off and just nothing is is happening on those at-bats. And, you know, there there's obviously a ton of examples, but, you know, uh, one that really jumps to mind, I think it was the last at-bat in the game on Wednesday, which I think was Ian Happs. And, he and this is a guy who you know had, had at times through this season been obviously the hottest hitter on the team but just fouling off a ton of fastballs just over the middle of the plate and you love you know obviously you love a competitive at bat you know trying to stay alive things like that but it, it just feels like for this whole offense like a ton of times throughout the game you're looking at the the pitches and looking at the at-bats going like at some point they probably need to do something with some of these pitches like these are not you know it, it would be maybe less frustrating I guess if you just felt like they were getting carved up by guys really executing what they're trying to do right like I it, it always sort of takes me back to the 2016 World Series which the Chicago Cubs actually won, won the World Series yeah and Corey Kluber in those first two starts, right? Like, and thinking about how frustrating it was to watch him throw that, uh, what is it, a two-seamer, Brendan? It's, he has like 10 different pitches. The, just the like pitch garbage. that was cutting back on yeah. the inside it's corner. It's a two-seamer. It's, like, it's, a, it's like a wiffle ball. It's insane what he does. Yes, we all know what I'm talking yeah. about, right? We can all envision Dexter I was you know, standing the same there thing. as a left. Yeah. Yeah, we, we all got it, yeah. right? You know what I'm talking about. Um. And just thinking like that version of a pitcher, that's his pitch. He's executing it perfect, executing it perfectly. It's, he couldn't place it in the zone better than he is, right? And you can sort of just see that. Like this series with Pittsburgh was not that. These are, this was bad pitchers throwing bad pitches. And the Cubs, not able to do anything with it, you know? And again, like you said, you know, David Bodie made a lot of good contact in this series uh, right into out. So did Wilson. So did Rizzo. So, you know, you obviously have to keep that in mind. But so many at-bats just swinging through fastballs right in the, you know, the, the cookies, right? Like everybody says. Like they were getting a ton of them and they just can't do anything with them. And I, I don't really know what I'm supposed to think about that. I I don't have a good answer for you guys as to like what to say about that. I think it was in the game on Wednesday too, uh, Jordan Bastion, again from Cubs.com, had put up the the zone just of the, the pitches that the Cubs saw. And so many of them were right in the happy zone and you're just thinking like man like this team scored two runs one run and zero runs to round out this series the pitches were there you know the 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 meatballs the cookies the pitches to hit were there and you know other than some home runs from Rizzo like it just wasn't happening well that's the weird thing Corey like that that's where I always kind of dwell on the passive approach again this is a multifaceted problem but but Zoning in on this is one of the problems that I can't ignore. And you look across the board, every hitter, even Rizzo, it's uncharacteristic for Rizzo to take these many pitches in the heart of the zone. And if you go to Baseball Savant, and I I love this new tool they just made, but they track how many times each batter takes a pitch over what they qualify 
as a heart of the zone. And Rizzo this year, Corey, has seen 219 pitches in the heart of the zone. He has taken 40% of those pitches. In his career, he's taken only 30% of those pitches. So what does that mean? This year alone, he has taken 87 pitches in the heart of the zone. And when he does swing, he's not making the same amount of, of, of value that he's typically making. In the heart of the zone, compared to league average, he has cost or sacrificed 12 runs this year. This, this does not make sense to me. This is why this is why I can't stop thinking about this. It's you have yeah. this weird passive approach, and Schwarber's doing the same thing. He's taking six percent more pitches over the heart of the zone this year. I don't understand it. I really don't. I don't know if it's a if it's a thing that's that's a scouting issue or they're pitching backwards and they're fooled or they don't have the video to adapt during the game. But that's where I'm zoning in on because it makes no sense to me. Yeah, and just to further that point, another friend of the podcast, Brian Smith at Cub Prospects, the Bleacher Nation uh, Cubs Prospects and Minor League, as his Twitter handle gives away, it talks about Cubs Prospects. Yeah. Um, he tweeted out sort of just not just the Rizzo version of that stat, uh, but NL playoff contenders that have taken the most middle-middle fastballs for called strikes. So watching a middle-middle fastball and just standing there. Uh, the Cubs lead at 102. Yeah, and so you see the Dodgers in second and you wonder like, okay, well, obviously, you know, their offense is performing really well. I, I did not look at this, but Brett Taylor from Bleacher Nation was one of the replies on this tweet and kind of offered up this thought. The Dodgers have probably seen more pitches, right, as a result uh, of scoring yeah. a lot more runs. Uh, so the the Cubs' rate of taking middle-middle fastballs for called strikes is probably much higher. I, I don't know, you know, again, like Brian was just providing the raw numbers. Uh, so... It's just not a, a stat you want to lead the the NL playoff field in, um, and you've talked about this a lot. And, and yeah, like you were saying, like it it is a question of you know th- this is it's been an evolving process, and this is you, you know you're kind of looking at perhaps one of the main you know obviously downsides of continually changing your hitting coach and continually changing your overall hitting philosophy. Because we've seen the the differences year in and year out, right? Like you you had a team that was basically just trying to crush mistakes, slug, get on base, take your walks, right? You know, yeah, then which they did. Right. Then they bring in Chili Davis and it's a more, you know, we're trying to make contact because we've been striking out too much. We're not coming through with runners in scoring position. We want to put an emphasis on putting the ball in play. You know, now you're back. Now you're doing this thing with Anthony Iaposi where it's sort of like forced passivity right? And you're trying to be as patient as possible. Again, you know, another sort of way to mitigate the strikeouts, kind of drum up the the overall on base percentage and, you know, just try to figure out these different solutions to the same problems, right? Uh, But it's, as you're seeing, not really bearing out that way. This, This sort of effort to be more patient and be more selective and stuff like that is not really working for this group. And, you know, look, like anything else, it's only been 60 games. This is all over the place, right? And you have plenty of hitters around the league 
who have struggled. You know, I, I mentioned on the last episode that, you know, J.D. Martinez has been one of the best hitters in this league for several years now, and he's having a, a, a struggle season similar to Javi's, right? So it's, it's, you can reconcile that however you will, but this is what we have to go off of, and this is clearly one of the issues that is plaguing this offense right now, is that the approach that they're taking is simply just not working in their favor. They they are watching a lot of hittable pitches, and I don't know if the lack of good contact on a lot of those pitches, like especially we saw in this Pittsburgh series, I don't know if that's a symptom of that, uh, but it certainly feels like it might be, right? Because uh, it just, I, I don't recall in prior years watching this team fail to do anything with as many bad pitches as they are lately. It, it felt like, you know, in, in other years, you know, chasing out of the zone, stuff like that. And, you know, they've had different problems, but I, and it's, of course, it's anecdotal. But I just don't remember watching so many games where I'm like really confused as to why they're just like fouling off middle, middle fastballs, you know, and you're just sort of looking around like, man, like that was your pitch. Like you feel like I, I feel like I've said that way more often, especially in the last few weeks than in past years. So I'm like, oh man, like that was the pitch. Like, you know, and it's like, you know, they're fouling it off or they're popping it up on the infield, you know? So it's, this is a lot to break down this is a lot to diagnose right and i and i we definitely can't do it in the middle of this season i think it's, it's okay it, we have four months to do it when the season ends yes uh so it, it, it's just going to take it's a longer diagnostic process than that i think and as i was saying it's it's something that i i'm not really sure how you know big and strong of conclusions you can reach just on these 60 games as far as like the whole process is concerned but just looking at what we're looking at right now yeah like the the forced passivity is not something that's working for this group and it definitely seems possible that it has messed up the way that they do even attack the good pitches that they're identifying and going for because it's yeah it's it it's just not it's just not working but yeah I I one thing I want to transition to, Brendan, and, and just ask you is about the lineup. So you've got Rizzo let off on Thursday with Hap uh, taking a day off. I think he, you know, tweaked his ankle a little bit, but I, you know, he's he's probably fine. But he's been struggling too. So presumably Hap slots back up there just because that's worked better than anything else. Um, he had Contreras in the two slot on Thursday. Hayward. Schwarber, Mabin, Kipnis, Javi, Victor, and David Bodie. Do you have an idea at this point? Uh, let, let's say Hap is back, and we're going to assume that Bryant is not back. So that's the roster that you're dealing with. Do you have an idea of what this this lineup ideally looks like to you, or or as we head into this series with the White Sox, you know, generally where you'd like to see the the the, the playing time going, and how you'd like this lineup to look? I like more contact higher up in the lineup. Um, you know, if they do play Javi, which they probably will, and they're going to play Wilson, you have Bodie in the lineup because KB is out. I want to break those guys up. They all have the same issues. It's slider away, slider away, fastball up, fastball up. Same approach. And they all have the same struggles against that same type of pitcher. 
And weirdly enough, so do Rizzo and Schwarber, even though they're lefties. They have the same issue with the slider. In this case, diving in towards their feet. I mean, how many times have we seen Rizzo strike out or whiff on a pitch that hits him in the, in the knee, in the shin? So I want to like break those guys up a little bit. So for me, that means put up Jason Hayward, bat him cleanup. I gave there the example of him looking like Ben Zobris from a statistical point of view. I want to see Hayward get more bats up in the lineup. I I, I don't know what they're going to do with second base. And again, I know Nico's numbers like do not look good. And even the peripherals as of the last three weeks do not look good. But what we know Nico does is make contact. And so if Nico's going to play, I don't mind putting him up there either, dude. Like as as uncomfortable as it sounds, I don't mind him batting like second in some games against a certain type of pitcher. I just want to break up Rizzo and Contreras and Schwarber and Bodie because they get out and struggle against the same type of pitcher. And this this is not just, you know, the eye tests and and our opinion. The the data backs that up. It's the same scouting report. And when we hear some other pitchers talk about how they're attacking guys, they mention it. They mention that there's this similar weakness against this lineup. And in years past, even dating back to like 2016 and 2017, it was an issue that Theo brought up where you have a team that that whiffs a lot and struggles against the same type of, of pitcher. So that that's where I'm at. I think what we saw in Thursday's game with David Ross using Mabin as the fifth guy, slotting down Javi to the seventh spot and mixing the lineup a little bit gives me some confidence that when the playoffs do roll around next week, I'm not going to be surprised if the lineup we see announced is very bizarre to us. That's not going to shock me at all. And Ross having so many managers in years past to draw from that experience, one is Madden. I mean, Ross played for Madden. We saw what Ross did during the playoffs in 2016. All of a sudden, Javi's now your second baseman. And all of a sudden, in years past, we're seeing weird instances where Schwarber's playing right field in an elimination game or Chris Coughlin's playing right field in game one of the World Series. I'm not going to be surprised if all of a sudden you have Hayward batting cleanup and you have some weird lineups with even Nico batting in the top like five. That's not going to surprise me at all. But my main emphasis, my main focus is splitting up the guys that struggle with the same exact picture. And whoever's in the in the lineup to break those guys up, I don't care. I don't care if it's Nico. I don't care if it's Kipnis. I, I really don't care. I just need those guys broken up right now because they're not on. If they're on, then I don't care. But right now, break them up. It's going to be interesting to see what David Ross ultimately decides to do uh, because I think it's been pretty easy to follow his train of thought that he's remaining confident in his guys you know he said after the game on Thursday like I've seen a lot of these guys do some pretty incredible things in the in the game of baseball so I'm remaining confident in that but you know once the regular season runway runs out you know depending on how this weekend plays out obviously like it's it's going to be interesting if come Wednesday his lineup reflects still sort of having that confidence or if his lineup reflects like okay like this is the best this is the best I've got so this is what we're gonna go with but Corey Uh, do you think he will do it though do you think he will mix it up I feel I feel like he will like why would he bat Maven number five if he's not 
willing to shift things I think up he's a willing bit. to try. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think he's grasping at anything right now, right. Uh, which is the position that he's in. I don't envy the position that he's in. Uh, but we kind of want the same thing, too. Like, we want him to kind of roll the dice a little bit and, yeah. and shift things up. So, I, I, when I saw that lineup on Thursday, I. I was I was relieved because we didn't know what Ross would do. He's been managing with the assumption that there's no difference between the playoffs and and the wild card, and he's right to a degree. There is kind of no difference. But when push comes to shove and you have an elimination type scenario, we don't know what Ross is going to do. And again, in Thursday, he perceived that as being a little bit more urgent, and he did shift the lineup up for the first time this year. Yeah, it was interesting to see that lineup. And, you know, I, I like seeing, you know, he didn't have a good game on Thursday, but Maven had a really nice game on Wednesday, uh, two doubles. And he and in his first at-bat had that one that went to the right center gap that looked like it might be another hit. Uh, so a nice game for him in that one on Wednesday. So I, I think, you know, that's at least one acquisition that, that looks to be working and at least gives them someone else to sort of try and see if he can get in there you know you know he's a veteran and stuff like that so yeah it's going to be interesting but uh I want to talk you know before we we look at this White Sox series I want to talk about I want to let you talk about uh what Alzali's done and just from the pitching perspective um but just to wrap up our our thoughts on the offense again we're watching the same team you guys are. It, it was awful. The series with Pittsburgh was awful. It was embarrassing, frankly. Um, Pittsburgh's terrible. The pitchers in this series for them were terrible. And for the most part, uh, save for you know some of the stuff that went on on Monday, the approach was bad. The results were bad. The process was bad. It was all bad, right? Uh, but it's a short season, and there's not a lot of time to figure all this out and and to have the right answer and to flip the script you know these guys are going to have to go into this weekend with the White Sox and they're going to have to go in to the playoff next week and make adjustments as quickly as they possibly can which is very difficult in the game of baseball and you're you're just going to have to hinge your hope like I said on knowing that right now you've got a few of these guys at their you know, really like absolute worst, like in their career. And we just know some of them are better than that. And again, it, it varies from each guy. I think, you know, the, the realistic nature of those expectations is different for all of them, but that's what you're going to have to hinge your hope on that. We just know some of these guys can perform better than this. And they have done so for years, not just a month or two. Right. And you're just going to have to hope that for as, as as quickly and harshly as it has come that the offense has struggled like this all together at once that at least some of these guys can manage to break out and carry this offense a little bit uh as we go you know into this final weekend and into that next series i i wish i truly wish i had uh, you know like more in inspirational words uh for you but i i mean i admittedly like i was pretty down uh, after that game on on thursday their inability to hit chad cool uh him striking out the side a few times like throwing a no hitter through i think it was five innings or four innings it was it was very difficult to even try not to just like completely wallow in despair uh having watched that because you know him and trevor williams just suck Man, <laughs> and like this, this offense just looked completely lifeless. So, uh, we're right there with you. Um, but 
you know, again, like, as we always say, as we said, going into this season, like the, the, the pieces are there for them to win games is it, do I expect this weekend or in the playoffs, this offense to perform like it's the best offense in baseball? No. But is it realistic to hope that this offense performs at a level that they can win baseball games with their starters and with the way that this bullpen has come along? I, I believe so. And so that's what you have to hope is going to happen. But I want to shift uh, just a little bit to the rotation before we get to the White Sox series. And again, just want to point out John Lester was very good in that game on Monday. So I think we'll see what happens with the White Sox. Like last time, I really hate this matchup. It's just a terrible matchup for him. Uh, the White Sox, I believe, uh, uh, I saw on Twitter from uh, Tommy at Full Count Tommy that the White Sox are undefeated against left-handed pitchers. They they just feast Great. on left-handed pitchers. Uh, so it's not a good matchup. We saw that. So we'll see what happens there. But as long as they're not playing the White Sox in the playoffs, I wouldn't hold those starts too much against John. Uh, but John has been good over his last few outings. I think these last 17 innings, I think it is, have been quite good for John on the whole. So I think that should give you a good bit of confidence uh, and a good bit of confidence that he's made these adjustments from those, that bad stretch. It was a really bad stretch for John. And, you know, we heard those quotes from him. We heard those quotes from David Ross and all that. And it was sketchy. But since then, he's thrown 17 innings, allowed just 11 hits, just two earned runs, 10 strikeouts, and four walks. He's one of the best big game pitchers in baseball in his career, right? You're giving him the ball in the playoffs, and I will have absolute confidence that he's going to get the job done because that's all he's ever done for this team in big games. So with that, I want to uh, ask you, Brendan, about Adbear Alzali because he did yes. some stuff and you don't often get super excited about things, uh, but this had you pretty excited. I was getting a lot of text messages. I saw a lot of tweets about this. So I'm just going to cede the floor to you here to talk about what Alzali has done. Alzali has developed two new pitches, Corey, all in the span of less than one year. He developed a sinker in uh, last offseason, uses it almost once every four pitches this year. That's awesome. Sinker looks good. But what I'm really, really excited about is this new slider that he's throwing. So him and Tommy Hadevi and Craig Breslow, this according to uh, Alzali himself and reported by the Chicago media, but specifically want to give a shout out to friend of the podcast, Jordan Bashton, who chimed in when I was asking Adber about this. And I was curious about how this slider came out to be because in the last 10 days, he developed this pitch. He never threw a slider in any game in his career before the Pittsburgh game. Not one slider, Corey. So what did Adbear do? He changed his grip, his curveball grip, to more like a cutter. So just a slight change with his grip generated this wicked, wicked slider. And it has a little bit more velocity than his curveball and way more velocity than his curveball from years past. So in years past, he used to throw a curveball around 78 to 70 to 80 miles per hour. This slider sits 84 to 86. That's a huge velocity spike. And what's really wild about this slider is that even though he developed it a few days ago, already 
He has more movement with the pitch than 80% of big league right-handed pitchers. So Adber, in two weeks, just developed a new pitch that's already generating more movement than 80% of the league. Do you get how insane that is? Do you get how good these pitchers are? That has got to get people excited. And there was a really, a, a beautiful, and I got to give credit to, to Marquis here, a beautiful overlay of the sinker and slider to uh, one of these Pirates batters. And it is insane how anyone can hit those two pitches when they're thrown out of the same tunnel. So now, compared to last year, Adver's not the same guy, dude. He's not the same pitcher. He's throwing a slider and a sinker half the time. When last year, he never had the pitch, those pitches at all. And he's doing so rapidly. And when we talk about the pitching infrastructure in Hadevi and Craig Breslow and why, at least I was pumped up about that in years past or last offseason, th- th- this is why. This is exactly why. Because you take someone as talented as Adber and you make a slight tweak and all of a sudden, now he has one of the better pitches in Major League Baseball. And he's able to use it right out of the gate during a time where the Cubs need that third starter potentially. And like you, I'm giving John the ball as a third starter and I'm piggybacking Adber right away. If there's any any instance of John struggling, Adber's up in the bullpen, Adber's coming in. And I'm, I'm fine going with that route right now, even though Mills threw no hitter. That's that's my preference. You have to be excited about Alzali here, Corey. And I, I go up and down with my confidence or yeah, I guess I guess my confidence with them. And I it's not to say that I, I lack confidence in Adber, but right now I've never been more pumped up about him. And I haven't pumped up about him in years past or more recently in the last few months because of that sinker. But now he has a sinker and a slider. I, I need to see more of this, man. I need to see more of this like ASAP because if it continues to look this good in the next one or two outings, We'll see what John looks like, but there there is a slight potential that I would not even mind throwing Adber more innings than any other current starting pitcher right now, whether that's in a piggyback rule or starting a game. It was impressive. I give Breslow and Hadibi a lot of credit, but more specifically, I give Alzalai credit for, for bearing and risking some of his performance by using a new pitch. I, I got to give him credit, Corey. Yeah, it, it was very interesting to see that, and you definitely have to give him credit. I mean, this yeah. is you know a guy who I think especially the the sort of rub on him was that you know the pitch mix maybe wasn't diverse enough to really have those pitches play Look off each out. other well enough, and to be able to not only make such a quick adjustment because this, as you said, this is not stuff we were seeing from him just uh, you know a, a few outings ago. Uh, but to be doing this uh, in this environment, you know, where he's been brought up for doubleheaders, shuttled back to South Bend, brought up, shuttled back. You know, we've talked about how frustrating that this whole situation must be for him and, you know, sort of feeling like you want to take hold of a spot and and be a part of this pitching staff for good. And, you know, this is the type of stuff that gets you there. So uh, for as as frustrating as the developments on the offensive side have, have been, Again, as I said in the last episode, like the starting pitching, you know, Mills struggled on Thursday, but in this whole series against Pittsburgh outside of Mills, start you got three good starts from this group, uh, from Lester, Hendricks, Q, and Alzali. I guess we'll just put them together. They went six innings, uh, only allowed four hits, an earned run each, couple walks for Adbear, but he also struck out seven. So between the two of them, you know, you got three good starts for for th- those several innings, 
and they've shown you that they can do the job. This starting staff is is you know they're not uh, the best in the league. They they may not have every member putting up gaudy Cy Young numbers, but I think we can really confidently say that this starting staff can keep you in games. You can you can hope and expect a quality start out of each of these guys, and it's reasonable to do so. And they can get the job done. They can be a pitching staff that can that can win games for this team and that can be a part of a winning and successful team. We've talked about the strides that this bullpen has made, so the strides and progress that Craig Kimbrell has made, guys like Jason Adam, Ryan Tapera really yeah. stepping up. And awesome. so those groups, I, I think, have made, they've done the work, they've made the progress to get to where they need to be to be a functioning member of a winning and good team, right? Again, I don't think either unit is going to be tops in the league or, or anything, but this pitching staff as a whole is good enough and has performed well enough to be a part of a championship level team. I really believe that especially when you have top two guys in that rotation that are capable of performing at the level that Darvish and Hendricks are. So it's all on the offense, and, and that's that's really what it comes down to. But it in, in a year where, you know, I think it's good to try to focus on the silver linings, um, this pitching staff has made some, some nice steps, and the pitching staff has obviously been the brunt of criticism for this organization for a while. And, you know, they're, they're, you know, still in terms of like developing guys that they drafted and stuff like that, you know, that's a different conversation. But for this pitching staff to perform the way that they have throughout this entire year, again, a caveat I offer all the time, because I think you ought to remember it, because I think they deserve more credit even than they're getting. Without, for the most part, two guys that were supposed to be in this rotation, They've done a really remarkable job, mm. and I think it's a credit to Hadavi, Breslow, the entire infrastructure, and even to the front office to a degree. You know, we know that they're hamstrung a little bit in terms of payroll, and you know, they're they bear a responsibility for part of that. Uh, but they brought in some guys, they've worked with them, they've they've gotten them into their infrastructure, and the ultimate output is that we're at the end of this season, and it's a it's a good group, it's a trustworthy group, and like I said, it's a group that I believe can be a part of a successful team. Okay, let's preview this final three game series of the twenty twenty. I can't believe it, Corey. It's it's it That's went by nuts. way too fast. Yeah. It it is nuts. So the Cubs will finish off this series with the White Sox, Corey, at the White Sox. And so the first game is Friday night. You have Yu Darvish on the mound facing former Cub prospect Dylan Seas. Seas on the year is 5-3 and three with a 3.52 ERA. I will note that his peripherals do not match his expected ERA. So we'll, we'll see what that looks like. With this lineup, maybe a no-hitter. It doesn't even matter. Uh, Darvish facing Cease. Darvish on the year 7-3 with a 2.22 ERA. Likely not going to win that Cy Young, but if he throws a complete game shutout, maybe things will change. And then on Saturday, we have John Lester on the mound facing the White Sox, Dane Dunning. Dunning on the year is 2-0 and the 3.19 ERA. Lester on the year 3-2 and with a 4.4 ERA. League average, Corey. John Lester having a league average year, exactly what you wanted. On Sunday, to finish off the three-game set, 
The Cubs have not announced their starter yet, but the White Sox have. They'll be throwing Ronaldo Lopez. Lopez on the year, 1-2 and two with a 4.68 ERA. Right now, the White Sox are one full game back in the division. So what does that mean? That means this series is important for both teams. So we have uh, right now, in the whole doubleheader thing is a little bit wild, but right now at the moment on Thursday evening, the Cubs are three games up on the Cincinnati Reds and the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, the Cardinals and Brewers are playing at the moment, so just stay tuned with the standings look like on Friday. But it's pretty simple, dude. Win a game, <laughs> you're going to win the division. So that's that's where my focus is. Uh, pay attention to those lineups because that could be suggestive of what we see in the playoffs in that three-game series coming up, whoever we end up playing. Of course, we'll be zeroing in on John Lester. I'll be zeroing in on Albert Alzali. See what he looks like with that slider. But that's that's what we have. And, and enjoy, you know, enjoy these last three games because it is going to get stressful very soon. And we won't have non-stressful baseball for uh, the next, what is it, eight to nine months. So enjoy it. It'll be fun. This is the first time in history that the Cubs and White Sox have meaningful baseball games against one another to this degree. So it will be fun. That's that's what I got, Corey. Yeah, I mean, that is really where it's at. Um, this is the last shot to sort of get things going. But, you know, it, it it's all going to be about what, what happens when they show up next Wednesday. You know, I mean, even if they have uh, another lackluster offensive weekend, it, you know, doesn't necessarily mean that's what you're going to get next week. So just try to get things going, try to get guys feeling good and, you know, kind of get those good vibes back, uh, you know, and that way you can carry that into the week and to your workouts that you're doing pre-playoffs. And, you know, then we're going to have to uh, rip that Band-Aid off and it's time for playoff baseball. So that's that's really where it is. Um, as I said, you know, it, it was a weird tone to strike today. Um, it was a very frustrating three days. It was a very bad three days. And we felt that frustration. Oh, trust me. Maybe one day we'll publish a uh, book of yeah, the so. texts that Brendan and I send to one another. Uh, maybe, yeah. Probably a bad idea, but like, just take my word for it that Brendan and I were as frustrated as you guys, as pissed off as you guys, as disgusted as you guys, whatever word you want to use. Um, but. This group and, and a lot of guys that are a part of it have done some, you know, as David Ross said on Thursday, some really big things in this game. They have performed on the biggest of stages. They have performed in situations far, far more dire than the one that they are currently in. And I, like I said, kind of at the beginning, I'm not going to tell you what to do, but the Chicago Cubs are going to the playoffs. They have a chance to win the division this weekend, but whether they do or not, they are going to be in the playoffs. They will be a part of the field, and they will take the field next week trying to advance in those playoffs. So what we are going to do is, like we always do, root for the Cubs and send, as you Darvish always tweets, he thanks us for the power that we send to him. And and that's what we're going to try to do is just send them as, as good of energy as we can and continue to root for them and support them. You can, you know, have any critical and analytical and whatever thoughts that you want. Uh, but 
at the end of the day, like I, I think you you've you ought to just show up and root for your team, and we can break it all down. We can diagnose it. We can perform. Uh, an autopsy either on a team that had a short run or a team that won the World Series. You can break it down all the same, right? Uh, but I think the the time for doing that is when the season is over. What what we you know what we need to be doing right now is gearing up for the playoffs because for the fifth time in six years the Chicago Cubs are going to MLB's postseason, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to put on our Cubs jersey, our Cubs hat, our obvious shirt, whatever you've got in your closet uh, that you like to wear. Put it on, root for the Cubs, because in in a, a more somber sense, potentially you've got five games left in the 2020 season, and that's obviously the worst case scenario. But you don't have a lot of baseball left, and I know it's been frustrating. We all have thoughts about what this offense is doing, etc. But you're not going to have anything to think about as it relates to the Cubs at some point, you know, over the course of the next month plus, right? Whether it's soon or later, I don't know. But this is this is what we've got. So I, I think that, you know, at least my perspective is I'm going to try to enjoy it. Uh, I'm going to, you know, try to balance that frustration with enjoying it and knowing like, look, you know, there there's not a lot of time left with this team. And it may be even further, maybe not a lot of time left with this core, with this group, because we don't know what the offseason in the future is going to hold. So color me one of those folks that's going to show up tomorrow night, ready to root for the Cubs to try and win the division. And we'll be here, you know, next week, ready to root them on in the playoffs and and hopefully settle in for uh, some kind of lengthy playoff run here. So that's, that's where we're at. That is where the Chicago Cubs are at. Uh, I do feel like I have delivered this speech before, unfortunately. Uh, it sounds a little familiar to me, but that is, uh, that's what's going on here. So again, uh, wherever you land on, on that spectrum of, you know, if, if you're disappointed that we didn't unleash on this team, or if you're glad we didn't unleash on this team, I don't know. But either way, the Cubs are going to be in the playoffs on Wednesday, and we're going to show up ready to root them on, uh, root David Ross and the boys on to victory. So that's where we're at. As always, we thank you guys for listening to the Cubs-related podcast, uh, interacting with us on social media, etc., all of the above. We will be back with you on Sunday to record an episode and talk about what happened with the Chicago White Sox. Hopefully, we are celebrating a National League Central Division championship, and then we will see what happens. We got to see who the Cubs are going to play, see what the exact schedule is. And as always, you know, we'll probably have a playoff preview for you and and all that, but we'll lay that out on Sunday and, you know, Monday morning when we have a better idea of that. But either way, uh, both the Cubs and White Sox this weekend are going to be playing for their respective divisions. So buckle up Chicago it's going to be it's going to be a weekend that's all I'm going to say I I don't have a word to offer on it it's just going to be a weekend uh in which we all exist and experience so that's what we got for you thank you again we will talk to you on Sunday and I think it's clear uh after this podcast no matter what the overriding sentiment is always always go Cubs 
Get really into your favorite shows and movies all in one place with Flex, a 4K streaming box you get free with Xfinity Internet. And get Peacock Premium at no additional cost. Learn more at Xfinity.com slash Flex. Restrictions apply requires postpaid Xfinity Internet excluding Internet essentials. One device included.